Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, our journey through Luke brings us to Jesus' teaching on love, which is often framed under the title, The Golden Rule. The difficulty with our contemporary understanding of the Golden Rule is that I fear we have failed to see the full extent of what Jesus is truly asking of his followers as he calls them to go above and beyond what our culture would define as respectably righteous. Thanks for listening today as we unpack Jesus' instructions on the Golden Rule. There was this one kid in college that drove me nuts. Just irritated me. Everything that he did. He came in the middle of the year and he wasn't kind of accustomed to whatever traditions we had. But he thought he was hot stuff is what he thought. And the way he walked, the way he smacked his gum, I mean, the way he stood, everything. Do you ever have someone like that that just grated on your last nerve? And uh, in class, he was disruptive. He was uh, boisterous. Uh, I, I got to quit. I could keep going, but I'm going to quit. And what I discovered is that as I continued to um, allow my thoughts about him to fester in my heart, they soon turned kind of putrid in my own life. That it soon became that any thought I had about this kid was just kind of just kind of evil. And uh, the Spirit of God really started to convict me on this. Well, in the providence of God's love in my life, uh, in this class, we got paired up. And who do you think I got paired up with? (laughs) So I I got paired up with him for the remainder of the entire year. And you know what? In my own flesh, that wouldn't have gone very well. But God spoke to me. And he showed me that what I needed to do in this instance where this kid that I just could not stand... Uh, and this was just festering in my heart. I needed to begin to pray for him. That's what I had to do. I needed to pray for him. And so I changed my perspective. And I, I started to ask God, all right, show me how, how I can lift him up and, and what he might be going through. And do you know what? Very soon, God began to reveal to me that this young man had a lot of hurt going on in his life. Uh, he had a, a, a strange relationship with his father that caused him a lot of insecurity, which was the product of all of his misbehavior. He was so weak inside, not knowing if he ever was loved by anybody, he continually would test the boundaries of everyone. I would never have seen that unless the Lord had softened my heart and caused me to want to look with him with a perspective that wasn't worldly, but to look upon him with a perspective that comes from God. We're told in the scriptures that we're to love our enemies. Who's doing good with that? I mean, it's tough. It's very difficult. Uh, Just this last week, my son, I picked him up at school and he just looked down. He just looked sad. I said, pal, what's wrong? And he said, "Uh, kids were teasing me today. And and it took more prying for me because he didn't want to open up. He'd been kind of... Torn up at school by his buddies, but yeah, they were teasing his haircut, and so he just felt he just felt sad because of that. And um, you know, me being a good Christian father and pastor, you know, I said, "Well, those kids are jerks." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I remembered I had to think. You know, this is, this isn't the perspective that I want to pass on to my son. That I, that I need to make sure that the characteristic that God has allowed me to see in my relationship with him, because let's be honest, folks, we're kind of jerks to God, right? I mean, our behavior and the way that we return to him ought to incur his wrath, but it doesn't. 
God is loving. God is merciful. God is kind with us. And those of us who understand that need to make sure we're passing that on. So one thing I've often told my son is that his job is to learn how to be like me. That's his job. And so my behavior and my pattern must be patterned after God if I'm going to pass what is right onto him. But it's a challenge. It's difficult. You and I, we need to learn to live and love like Jesus. Amen? We need to learn to live and love like Jesus. And there was a time where you didn't belong to the family of God, but guess what? You do now. You do. And just like I tell my son, it's his duty to learn to follow after me because he's, he's my child. You are God's child. And it's your duty to learn to pattern your life after him. We, we got a tough passage today. In the, in the course of where we're at in the book of Luke, we're in chapter 6. And Jesus is going to give some commands to his disciples, which... Frankly, folks, you're going to have to work really hard at listening today because this is the type of stuff that just kind of flies over us. We like to hear it, but we don't know how to put it into practice in our lives. Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 27, and the scope of our time this morning is going to be spent reading through the passage. And I'm going to work to point out a few things going on in the text, and we're going to conclude with a few points of conclusion, and then we'll be done this morning. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. That's page 1601 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Jesus says these words, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That's a good one today, isn't it? This is one that we need to hear. Um, there, there's a rule that's kind of highlighted here. It's one that we're familiar with. Anyone know the name of it? What's it called? The Golden Rule. That's right. It's called the Golden Rule. I have it up here on the screen. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's one that we've heard and then hopefully have tried to pass on to our children. And it's one, however, this morning that we need to unpack a little bit fuller because it's not just as simple as saying, sure, do good to those. And then this is the golden rule. Jesus lays it out extremely specifically for a certain direction in which we need to face and a component and a dimension of this golden rule that we need to pay attention to this morning. A few things I want to point out to you. If you look with me back in verse 27. In 28, you're going to find four commands that are listed there. They're worth writing down or underlining. I just want to highlight them for you. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's the command. Love. 
not fight, not argue with, not gossip about, love. Second command is this, do good. Do good. Third is this, bless. He says it in the context of those who curse you. So when someone's tearing you down, it's not eye for an eye, it's not tit for tat, it's you curse me, I'm going to bless you. And lastly, the command is pray for those who mistreat you. Did you catch these commands? Love, do good, bless, and pray. As Jesus is teaching this, he's going to use two illustrations. And I want to highlight those for you as well. The first one has to do with getting slapped on the cheek. This is a tough one. If you were to get slapped on the cheek, what is the first thing that you would do? Man, we would all want to slap back or run crying maybe, you know, one or the two. But it is impossible within your flesh to do what Jesus is saying. Frankly, impossible. There's no way you could do it. I want you to see, however, that it goes beyond this initial reaction of retaliation. That tends to be how we first see this. That if you get slapped on the cheek, when he says, turn the other one, we think what Jesus is really saying is that, no, you, you don't retaliate. But he has something more to say in that, and it has to do with rejection. If you get slapped on the cheek, it may be, in fact, due to rejection. Somebody has rejected you. Within the Christian world, what does that mean for us? Does that mean we give up on people? They slap you on the cheek once and I'm done with you. It's not, see, I want you to see it's not just retaliation. It's not just taking vengeance. It's just not slap one, slap back. But instead, by turning the other cheek, you are also presenting yourself before this individual again to help. And I see this within the context of the passage because when Jesus is going to command these things to us, he's going to do so under the umbrella of generosity, of giving. Has God been generous to you? How many of you have ever spiritually wanted or perhaps have given God a slap in the face by how you live? When, when he gives you a command and impresses it upon your heart, do you obey it? Because you know what that's like? It's like a slap in the face. And what does God do? Probably rightly should retaliate, but not more than that. He also goes beyond the rejection of his people to continually pursue us. Are you seeing that? I want you to see that it's more than just retaliation. The second example he gives after getting slapped is uh, getting taken advantage of, right? Getting your cloak stolen. Again, this one might also seem to be simply a, um, an example of uh, lack of retaliation, but it's more than that. So if someone takes something that's yours, what do you do? Well, you call the cops, right? You, uh, you report it. That would be the retaliatory action of it. But Jesus wants you to do more than that. Notice what he says. If they take your cloak, don't stop them from also taking your tunic. Why would he say that? The reason is because Jesus wants you to see that it goes beyond simple lack of revenge. It goes onto having a desire to see the need within your neighbor. Why did he take your cloak? He might need it. And you know what? He might need more than that. Jesus wants us to expand beyond just simple niceness so that we don't revenge because revenge belongs to the Lord. He wants you to have a perspective that comes from God, that goes further. Are you catching this? Do you see how it goes further? Say amen if you got it. Yeah. Well, I was pretty weak. We've got to keep going. All right. Uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll phrase it out for you in this next way. I think Jesus helps us with this. He asks three questions next. All right? Three questions. Look with me. In verse 32, he says, 
Uh, first one has to do with love. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? See, that's the easy one. That's, that's a positive eye for an eye. That's a plate of cookies for plate of cookies, right? That's a, I'll wash your car because you washed my car, right? That's, that's all that is. But Jesus says that's not enough. You're, you're only going this far. The second question has to do with doing good. Look what he says, verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good, what credit is that to you? Again, it's, it's simple one-to-one. Jesus wants us to go beyond that. The third question helps us to see it one more time. If you didn't catch it in the first two, you catch it on this one, verse 34. And if you lend to those with whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? He wants you to give to people who can't repay you. So if they're already taking your cloak, they certainly can't repay you for the tunic as well. Jesus wants us to go beyond simply refusing to set the record straight. He wants to, to pursue righteousness. To go beyond that and look like our God, look like our Savior, to do what he has done for us. There's a word that's repeated in these three questions. Did you guys catch it? It's kind of a sinister word, right? These three questions on love and doing good and lending. Notice he says, uh, even sinners love those who love them. And then in the next one, he says, even sinners do that. And lastly, the last question says, even sinners lend to sinners. Uh, What's Jesus trying to do here? He's showing you that you are more than just sinners. You're more than that. You belong to his family. He has made you righteous. Now, if this were someone else's family, well, then you could act like them. You could act like sinners because that's what they do. But in our family, what do we do? We go above and beyond, right? Because that's what it means to be part of our family. Jump down at the very end here as we kind of wrap up our walk through the text. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. That's what your father does. Your heavenly father is kind to those who are wicked and ungrateful. So guess what he's calling you to do? Just like I say to my son, your job is to learn to become like me, right? What's God telling you today? Your job is to learn to become just like him. The last verse here, verse 36 says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. I have a few conclusions I want you to see here. The first one is the distinction within Christianity. Here it is. Christian love is active. It is about doing That's what it says. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, There are many people who simply want to say, oh, the golden rule, that's universal. That's in every religion. Every religion has the golden rule. That's what makes it so uh, uh, golden. Thank you. Yeah, it makes it so golden. It's in every religion. Well, uh, I put up here the golden rule uh, pronounced in some of these other religions. I want to see if you can identify the difference. See if you can catch the change between how Jesus says it and the rest of these. In Judaism, they say, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. In Hinduism, do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Confucianism, do not do to others what you would do not want done to yourself. Zoroastrianism, do not do unto others whatever is injurious to yourself in the Baha'i faith. Desire not for anyone the things you would not desire. Did you catch it? What's the difference? There's something in all these. 
You see, every other expression of this outside of Christianity is not active, but passive. You shouldn't do things to people that you wouldn't want done to you. You know what that is? That's as good as sinners. That, that's this level. I hope, I hope you're catching it. Is everybody kind of seeing it, right? It's not enough just to be at this level. That's the rest of the world. And I'm not making this up. This is exactly what they say. I, I hope you see how interesting this is. That outside of Christianity, the best form of righteousness is simply rising to the level of sinners. Because that's what sinners do. That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to go above and beyond because our faith is active. And it's about doing. That's what Christian love looks like. The golden rule really finds its root in the question posed to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? You remember that story? Right? The man comes to him. Hey, teacher, what's the greatest one? Which one do I need to pay most attention to? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. This finds itself repeated through the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, Paul writes, The commandments, you shall not, not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one. Love your, say with me, neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, say it with me, Love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.8. James writes, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. You will be doing right and good. The distinction that makes you different from any other, face on, uh, any other religion on the face of the earth is the call to love as being actionable. It's something we do. We go out there and do it. That's the distinction. Here's the dimension of it. Zero returns. That's what it needs to look like. You show love with no strings attached. How many of you like the uh, saying out there, hey, you owe me one. Man, you owe me one. I showed you my best fishing spot. You owe me one, right? Whatever that might be. That's not, that's not allowed in Christianity. That's not it. If you do that, guess who does that? Sinners. That's as good as you are right there. Uh, I, I helped you. You helped me. We're done. I got back from you what I invested in. All set. That's not what it needs to look like for Christian love. The dimension of our love means zero returns. That we love without any expectation. That they'll give us back anything in return. That is what charitable love looks like. The direction of our love. Now this is tough. It's extended even onto your enemies. That's right. This is the place where I feel like most of us kind of get stuck. Yeah, I heard the message, preacher. Yeah, it was good, but man, this is hard to this is hard to obey. Uh, we're going to get a little applicable as we get to the end of the sermon, but that's the direction your love needs to focus. Look, you got a lot of friends. You got a lot of people who love you, right? You come to church and shake hands. It's wonderful to be seen and to to share love. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about those relationships that are stretched, that are divided, that are broken. Those people who drive you nuts. Those are the ones Jesus is talking about. The direction of our love is focused even onto our enemies. The duplication of Christian love means that it follows after our own preferences. So how you would want to be treated. What would you like someone to do for you? That's what you're supposed to do to them. However you would want to be treated, that's the extent to which you treat one another. 
The Scriptures are going to say in many places, that which you have measured onto another, you will be measured by. God will judge us the way that we treat one another. Even as our prayer, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How do you want to be treated? You want God on Judgment Day to have a list of all the things you've done wrong? Or do you hope that that's all wiped away? Well, guess what? If you want that all wiped away, why are you holding things against your enemy still? <coughs> Wipe those away. The way you want to be treated is how you are called to treat one another. Uh, the degree of Christian love. Uh, this, this is where it gets down to at the end. Jesus says that great is your reward in heaven because God is the one keeping score. And this is probably the primary problem in our world today is that we want to kind of keep the scales even, right? If something's done unfair to us, bam, right back at you, right? Now it's even. That's not for us to do. God is the one who's keeping score, not for us. There was a great quote that I saw at First Presbyterian the other day. Wonderful quote. It said, there were, a great man once said nothing. That's pretty great, huh? A great man once said Nothing. He's talking about Jesus here, and it's quoted for us in First uh, Peter. Look at this. To this you were called, Peter writes, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The degree of our love is extended to rewards that aren't paid back now. God is the one who is keeping score. God is the one who's keeping track. And you and I, we need to be like that great man. Anybody here just needs to zip it sometimes, right? Anybody? Come and be honest in church, right? Look, Mama said, if you had nothing nice to say, say anything at all, right? Jesus wants to call us to go further than that, right? If someone curses you, what should you do? You should bless them. That's what you should do. And you will have reward in heaven. Lastly is this. The demonstration of Christian love is generosity. It's generosity. The next verse uh, in, in 1 Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's generosity. That's what love looks like. We as a human race hurled insults at the Son of God. We did. Every one of us, if we lived back then, we would have been right there with him. And Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't call down angels of destruction upon us. You know what he did? He died for us. That's what he did. And so the call to you and I and the expression of Christian love needs to look like this. Generosity is the evidence of Christian faith. Now you might say to me, ah, oh, that's easy, right? For God, there's no problem. No one ever hated God. Now think about that for a minute. You know what God had to go through on earth? Embodied in the Son, Jesus Christ. Rejected by His people. If anybody knows the difficulty of having to love their enemies, it's Jesus. And if you are part of His family, the calling to you and I is to learn to be like who? Learn to be like Jesus. Learn to live our life after Him. I put this question down in your application. Uh, I, I want to challenge you to fill it out. The person who drives me nuts the most is... No spouses now. The page isn't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of question this, if I could do this in church, right? Could you write down who drives you nuts? Look, write it down because here's the, here's the reason. That's the person you need to pray for. 
whoever that is. Might be a neighbor, might be a relative, might be a coworker. Don't don't waste this opportunity to be like Christ Church. Because his calling to you is this love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. And give to those who are in need. Let's pray this morning.